What is up, Bitcoiners? This is CK. I'm here with Ansel, and we have another episode of FedWatch. Super excited to bring you this show. We're going to talk a lot about Fed, ECB, and all of the craziness that has happened in Bitcoin these last few weeks. Super excited to do one of our older style shows where we um, you know, get into these fundamentals and, and give you an update on what's happening in all things macro and Bitcoin. Before we get into it, let's talk about how this show is possible. This show is made possible by Paxful. Paxful is the number one P2P marketplace, P2P trading platform for Bitcoin. They are the most prevalent platform in Africa, and they are doing absolutely fantastic work. And really what Paxful is, is a way for people all across the world to give liquidity to Bitcoin. And when it comes to Bitcoin's value prop, liquidity is it. So Paxful is incredibly important for how Bitcoin is going to succeed moving forward. And it's incredibly important for making Bitcoin useful for real people. People need to be able to get in and out of Bitcoin. People need to be able to use their fiat or whatever value system they can use. And sometimes that's a gift card. Sometimes that's cell phone minutes. Sometimes that is some other exotic form of value transfer. And Paxful plugs all of that into Bitcoin. So if you want to learn more about Paxful, if you want to be a part of the P2P ecosystem, go to Paxful.com backslash podcast. So that way they know we sent you there. Number two, let's talk about Bitcoin Black Friday. So Paxful is about the is about the circular Bitcoin economy and Bitcoin Magazine is also trying to highlight the value and the need of the circular Bitcoin economy uh, by bringing back BitcoinBlackFriday.com and the Bitcoin Black Friday tradition. So if you go over to BitcoinBlackFriday.com right now, there are already over 100 deals uh, for Bitcoin on the site. Some of them are live. Some of them will go live as we get closer to Black Friday. Um, but we are trying to make this a really big thing and we're trying to get people aware of the deals that they can get for Bitcoin. And we want to highlight the merchants that are giving good deals and accepting Bitcoin and making it possible for people to live inside the Bitcoin ecosystem exclusively. So check out Paxful, check out Bitcoin Black Friday and check out the Bitcoin Dictionary. I'll pass it off to Ansel. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, BitcoinDictionary.cc, over 180 terms, uh, important to Bitcoin, understanding Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency, all of that. Uh, You can condense years and years of knowledge uh, in the space into 180 terms. So it's great. I'll show it too. I got my copy of the Bitcoin Dictionary, so check it out. Good stuff. We got to start reading a term out of this. He defined KYC, Keynesian economics, incentives. Infinite game theory, inflation. Oh, yeah. And it, it will expand. I mean, there will be a second edition in a couple of years' time, you know, when I can add another double out to maybe 300 or 301. I, I, somebody told me, oh, you should have made it 201 terms. Then you could put 201 terms that you need to know. But, man, I just, like, made the best 180 terms, the best terms, the most uh, poignant ones that you need to know to understand Bitcoin, and that's what I put in there. So um, maybe the future – Maybe we'll get out to 501. I don't know, but that's years down the road. Let's go. Well, I love it. And uh, yeah, you got to incorporate Bitcoin numbers whenever you can. So uh, that's always a side goal. There you go. Yep. So Ansel, let's, uh, let's jump into what we have planned today. Before we got into the news, we actually wanted to kind of reflect 
on some of the amazing guests that we've had this past month and a half on the show. Um, we had Steven Van Meter, Lynn Alden, Danielle DiMartino Booth, our first guest, uh, the amazing Jeff Snyder, and, uh, and Stacey Herbert, uh, also absolutely fantastic. All five of these guests are experts in their own right, and all five of them you know, had really different opinions of what's going down in the world and what's happening in Bitcoin and macro. Yeah, I, I feel like honored to have all of these guests on. And one thing that we were kind of talking about offline is that we didn't even shoot for this, but we have been very, um, you know, I mean, we, we've had what three girls and only two guys and we weren't even thinking about being like, uh, some sort of uh, gender neutral show or getting more girls on than guys. But, uh, the ones that we picked and the ones that we follow, uh, they were, uh, it turned out that way. And I thought they were, each of them have something to add to, our learning process. Just to kind of reflect on on them, it's really interesting to think of, you know, we have Stacey talking about inflation and how uh, that is a part of life. We have Steven Van Meter and Jeff Snyder who are kind of coming at it from a different perspective and they're really pushing back and saying like, no, you know, none of this inflation is happening. The Fed has very little power. And then we have someone like Lynn Alden kind of coming down the middle and, and trying to like, you know, meet the difference. And for us, at least in this debate of inflation, deflation, what is actually happening. Um, it's been very interesting trying to tease it out and, and understand. And I'm still trying to making heads or tails of it, but uh, I feel like I've learned a lot. And it's, again, it's very interesting to kind of get the different perspectives and, you know, hear these experts having, you know, differing opinions and why. Yeah, I kind of use this show for myself to learn and go down this journey of, discovering what the the system currently is, how it currently works and where we're going in the future. And these, these, the guests that we've had on, I mean, people need to go back and listen to them because um, like we said, they all come from different backgrounds and, and some of them are agreeing more on the deflationary side, like Steven and Jeff. Uh, but like Danielle, Stacy and Lynn, I think are all more on the inflation side personally. So um, I don't know. I think it's, it's a very good mix of guests. So let's transition into the Fed news. The Fed has been actually relatively quiet for the past, you know, what, five weeks since we had one of these update shows. Why don't you kind of give us a skinny, Ansel? Yes, exactly. There's not been much from the Fed for the last three or four weeks. Um, the current situation is that they're keeping the rates at zero, at least to like 2023. That's what they've stated. So, uh, you know, for some sort of forward guidance uh, to the market, they're saying, hey, we're just going to do uh, zero for <laughs> as far as I can see. Uh, they also have said that they're going to do uh, let inflation run hotter for longer. So if inflation can get to three, four five percent, you know, they're going to hold off on changing monetary policy just because of that inflation number. So that's interesting. And the most recent thing maybe that they've said is that they're going to, these two big to fail banks. So JP Morgan, um, bank of America city, um, they are banned from doing stock buybacks and from doing dividends apparently to their shareholders because they want them to be flush with cash. If there is a next leg of this crisis. So they're, they're, they're thinking that this, that's new. That's a new thing. Um, they didn't do that in 2008. So, um, you know, at least they're kind of evolving a little bit with what they're trying, but the main weapon is QE and 0% interest rates. 
do you think that fiscal spending is going to happen? Because it seems as though like we're in this very strange environment where like the Fed is obviously has full discretion over monetary policy, quote unquote, uh, and they're doing their part. And now people are looking at, you know, Congress and stuff and saying, Hey, where's the, where's the fiscal spending? Where's the spending on uh, different uh, programs? Where, where's the cash to people in need? Um, why aren't you doing that? Do you think the fiscal spending is happening and will it, or, or will it happen? And will there be another bill that happens? Like, you know, what, what's your insight into that? Yeah. So we had that first one, uh, the first stimulus checks that went out um, early on in the crisis and they've been trying to get a second one passed. Uh, you know, there's all the bipartisan politics going on in Washington, DC. And yeah, the fed has repeatedly said, we need to have fiscal policy and monetary policy working together, marching forward towards inflation pretty much is what they want. And uh, uh, even F- the chair Powell spoke today at some business conference and uh, I saw a transcript of his speech. And that was one of his big points is putting pressure on Washington to go on the fiscal policy side to get a stimulus check back to the people because they're starting to recognize that QE or monetary policy helps asset prices and, and stocks and stuff. And that helps a disproportionate, you know, the upper 1% of people. Um, so to help the majority of people to not have so many, uh, the Giabo that Stacey Herbert talks about and Max Kaiser, uh, where the people are kind of revolting against the system because they, they can sense that they're not getting any better off, but they see the, the banksters getting better off. So, um, they think that fiscal policy is that side. So fiscal policy helps the poor and monetary policy helps the rich kind of thing. And they want to walk hand in hand into the future and they're pressuring Washington to fulfill their end of the bargain. Well, I guess speaking of the Fed learning about fiscal policy being necessary for stimulus distribution, you know, all of this is about distribution of stimulus and how accurately they can inefficiently they can distribute it like that's really what it is and qe is just very very inefficient at distributing stimulus it really like it does not trickle down and that's kind of what mmtiers have been saying that's what mmtiers have been saying like on top of like they 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 don't like that you know asset issuance is backed by debt they just want to issue which is a whole nother like layer to it but mmtiers have been saying that hey like this QE is nonsense. Like it's not actually going to distribute any of the funds to where it needs to go. And that's why we need this fiscal spending. That's why we need uh, to be minting and we need to give this power back to the treasury. So it's very interesting to see the Fed kind of update their thinking. It's very interesting to see the Fed saying, we'll let inflation run hot because it's been a lot lower than we've wanted it, which kind of indicates that what they've been doing has not been creating inflation, which is something that the deflationists and you have been saying. So I mean, man, it's just, it's so interesting just seeing this play out. It really is. Yeah, they're definitely learning. And like I've said in other shows is, is I think the Fed is learning nearly at the same rate that we all are learning, especially the, those that listen to this show, you know, they're paying attention to monetary matters and they, they don't know any more than some armchair economist knows. There, there's this one guy on YouTube. I can't remember what his, the everyday economist or something like that. And He's just a guy that records videos in his car and he talks about the Fed and what they're doing. And he's on the cutting edge, right? The economists at the Fed, the PhD economists, they don't know what's going on. 
They're learning at the same rate we all are. And it's very, very exciting time to be alive. That's for sure. I feel like they're also learning that they don't have as much power as they think they have, which again is, I would say, is what the deflationists have been saying. And they're learning it because they're pretty much saying it. You know, if you read the tea leaves, they're saying it. Yeah, you brought up the point about uh, getting the money to the people. One of the big things that we've noticed over the last year, and I've talked about this for a while, is the CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies. And they think, like, if you read the reports that come out, maybe once a month we'll get a different report from either the Fed or the ECB, and they're talking about this stuff. And their big point is payments, 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 payments. They're probably thinking this is a way to get monetary policy to the people so that they can circumvent uh, the banks and they can circumvent governments, like their the fiscal policy. What, what, are, what is your take on the recent stuff we've heard about the CBDCs? I mean, the CBDCs kind of enable the, kind, the distribution of money that central planners wish that they've always had. It's what the MMTers have been asking for. It's the tool that they need to, you know, kind of distribute funds and centrally allocate, right? And then on the flip side, like technology is also enabling Bitcoin and other, you know, potentially, you know, forms of, of money that is completely outside the reins of any sort of central control, and any sort of inflation whatsoever. So it, it's awesome. It's kind of awesome seeing it just evolve. But yeah, I mean, technology is enabling the surveillers and it is enabling the uh, inflationists and it is enabling the central planners, you know, in its own way too. And it's, uh, and it's happening. And there are massive incentives for implementing them for government. It gives them more power. It gives them the ability to sidestep checks and balances. Like it, it checks off a lot of, uh, a lot of the boxes that make, um, government's bigger. So yeah, that's my take. It's almost like they're working against banks, the commercial banks and this kind of banking industry that we've had since the late 1600s when, when the Bank of England, the Central Bank of England started. It's been very, very similar. And now it's almost like they want to cut out banks by creating these central bank digital currencies that they can directly control and they're going to have to rewrite every textbook. And that's, that's one of the things I think that they're very, they're going very slow. They don't really want to commit to any one course of action right now with these central bank digital currencies, because it is rewriting all the textbooks and they don't know where that will take them. Do they have time? I guess is my question, right? Because like, yeah, they're taking it slow, but the permissionless side of the equation is endlessly iterating, right? Yeah. I think it's never ending. Well, they have time from the perspective of their system because their system will just slow down. Like I've been saying, it's just going to grind down zero growth. If there was no Bitcoin, they could extend this for 50 more years while they're, they're trying to discover these things. But uh, yeah, Bitcoin kind of throws a wrench in the system and now they're racing against Bitcoin adoption and hyper Bitcoinization. That's what they're racing against. They haven't admitted that yet. But they soon will. I guarantee you it's going to be within the next couple of years, they're going to be saying we have to get this out because X, Y, Z. But right now um, we have this on the notes here uh, is the digital euro. So the ECB, they trademarked the term digital euro, apparently, and they came out with their research paper. And so uh, in there, they're, they're talking about all this the stuff that they want to do. They want to make the digital euro this and that robust, accessible, private. And 
you just get the feeling from them that they're racing against somebody like an invisible enemy and they never name it. They never say it's Bitcoin. I think really what they're thinking at this moment is they're racing against China or the US. I think Tether is a real big worry for these people and they won't ever name it because then it will just give attention to Tether. But um, yeah, I think you can feel this like kind of sense of urgency and that is from the alternative side, in my opinion. I actually want to talk a little bit more about Tether because I think of any pundit talking about Tether, you have been the most right. Like I've been listening to Bitcoin and markets since 2018, pretty much all 2018. And there's a lot of Tether FUD in that time. There's a lot of Tether FUD. And you not only destroyed the FUD, but on top of that, you projected what Tether was going to do. And you literally were completely correct. Um, like it, it's really been impressive, like seeing you comment on Tether. So like now Tether is something that the ECB is talking about. Like it's been in press conferences. They brought up stable coins. Well, guess what? Tether is the stable coin. So let's, let's talk about Tether a little bit more. Like how has it gotten to this point where it is on everyone's mind? Stable coins are dominating. They're dominating. They got added, Tether got added to Paxful. Ray Yusuf thinks that Tether is going to be bigger on Paxful than Bitcoin soon. Yeah, and that, that makes sense because everyone knows the value of the dollar. The, the dollar is the unit of account in a lot of places around the world. And so it just makes sense that a digital access to a digital dollar is gigantic. And my, well, the reason why I was able to call it right, I think, was because I listened a lot to the Tether people that were creating Tether back in the day. And I knew what type of people they were and I knew what they wanted to do with it. I knew the direction it was going. Um, and I also understood from a economics perspective how important the dollar was. And so you put all these things together, and it's not going to be an exit scam. And a lot of the FUD was about, oh, it's going to be an exit scam, or they're, they're under the table, they're being dishonest, right? And so I just evaluated the people, and I evaluated the product, and I said, no, this is going to be very big. Tether will probably continue to expand, but... I'm starting to get a little bit worried about it, honestly. I think that it might be become too successful for its own good. And they've been able to stiff arm governments smartly, use regulation to their benefit. Uh, even if this current court case, or this current investigation that they're under right now, if it fails and Tether makes it out of there, um, I think the next one will probably get them. So yeah, I'm starting to see in the future, maybe two to five years out, that Tether is is going to start going away. Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see that. But here's, here is the curveball, right? Right now, Tether supposedly backs every Tether one-to-one to the dollar, right? To dollars in bank accounts. We're, all, we're seeing with BitMEX, the fact that their treasury is 100% Bitcoin is making them very, very censorship resistant and anti-fragile, even while under attack and we're going to get into the bitmex news but what if tether's treasury was 100 percent bitcoin people already believe in the unit the treasury yeah. itself the underlying is 100 percent bitcoin and if you know there's just ex if bitcoin's market cap is so much greater than tether's then it could be justified i mean it just depends like could bitcoin continue to support tether on the back end and if the answer is yes then I mean, Bitfinex is already a sovereign company. Like that's, it's going to be yeah. hard to take it down. It can be very anti-fragile. Yeah, that's a very good idea. Um, 
a lot of people were talking about, oh, it's not solvent, right? Because it's not backed one-to-one in their treasury. Uh, it just says on their website now that it's backed in cash equivalents. And I was like, well, it's probably because they have treasuries. I mean, they have, what, $15 billion uh, backing their coin. They, they probably want to put some of that into like U.S. treasuries or something because they're more liquid. It, you can get a bank account frozen, but you're not going to get like your U.S. treasuries frozen. You can always find a market for that. They're very, very liquid. So I, I would, if I were Tether, I would be putting at least half of my treasury uh, or half of my bank account into U.S. treasuries. Now, Bitcoin... That's another great um, thought. Uh, there is a synergy to a Tether Bitcoin backing. So yeah, if they do that, if they start doing that, that would be very, very interesting. Probably survive if they attacked it. Should, should we just get into the BitMEX news? Yeah, I mean, let's just do that. And on a side note, I'm definitely gonna get Paulo, uh, sorry, Paulo Arduino, the CTO of Tether and BitMEX or and Bitfinex onto the show. Um, I got to Got to slide into the DM and, and make sure that this show happens because y'all two got to meet and talk about Tether and, and see what's yeah. going through his head. Let's do it, man. All right. Well, let's go over to the other Bitcoin-enabled exchange, BitMEX. BitMEX is under attack. Do you want to go over the high-level news about BitMEX? You go over it because you probably followed a little bit closer than I did. BitMEX's founder, or one of their co-founder, his last I forget his first name, but his last name is Reed. He was in Boston last week. I believe it was on Tuesday or Wednesday, he was arrested. And at that same time, the CFTC and other agencies in the United States filed uh, suits against law, uh, against BitMEX, um, as well as put out warrants for arrest for the other founders, including Arthur Hayes. So right now, a co-founder is in custody, and uh, there are warrants for the arrest for the other co-founders, and they're all at large. BitMEX responds saying that all of this is, you know, is unwarranted. They did everything under law. um, And as a startup until now, uh, they've done everything to comply with the United States. Uh, They also said that BitMEX will continue to run and that, um, you know, withdrawals will continue to happen, which I think that is what is showing the indication that, you know, it's not another Liberty dollar or anything like that. Like this is, uh, this is a company that's powered by unstoppable cash and their multi-sigs are, you know, can't just be frozen. Uh, so, and their servers are obviously in jurisdictions where uh, they can't just be taken down. So uh, I'm curious to see when the DNS takedown happens. There are very centralized factors like throughout the, the internet stack right now, but you know, BitMEX is proving to be very resilient. And I think that that is very interesting and it's very much enabled by Bitcoin. Yeah. And it's very related to Tether, right? Because they, Tether has been fighting against governments for a long time. And now uh, the CFTC, I don't know if they, they expected BitMEX to shut down from this. I don't know. But I think it might be a different thing with the DNS takedowns. You might you might know better than I do about like which agencies are involved with taking websites down versus freezing bank accounts. It might be like a different type of agency in the government. And so the CFTC can charge a person for monetary matters, but then they can't necessarily touch your corporate assets or corporate uh, stuff. Um, and it's, it does it ex- exposes some weakness in the system, right? That the, the Bitcoin companies are able to withstand the initial assault of a government. And that's very, very yeah. important. Yeah. 
Like think about the, like without Bitcoin, all of a sudden, all of BitMEX's accounts are frozen. I mean, without Bitcoin, BitMEX wouldn't have been a thing to begin with. But, right. yep. you know, if if they had that attack vector on their treasury and on their funding and on, you know, the assets that are in the exchange, like this would be a much, much bigger story that, you know, it would, they would be done. They would have to gear up to fight, you know, out of their comfort zone. They'd probably have to all come to the United States and, you know, have, you know, really be at their, uh, in, in defensive. Whereas like now, like, they're like, okay, you have one of our guys, like, and, but they, they, there's no urgency. They can do things on their own terms. You know, there's, they're still making money. <laughs> the, the website is still functioning, you know, it's, it's just a completely different situation. Yeah. It's completely different. Well, yeah. And like, is this, and this is the United States government, the most powerful financial government in the world. What if like some government like Brazil wanted to crack down on somebody there? They would not even come close to doing it. And so I, I think it's interesting when you compare this to, okay, this is the United States government and they cannot take down BitMEX. Now, what about every other government? Would they even want to fight or would they just be like, okay, we're going to sign some deal with them or we're going to promote them even. Let's get a majority of trading into our jurisdiction, right? Uh, it's, it's amazing. It truly is. Yeah. I mean, and this is just the catalyst. Like, this is just the beginning. Like we're seeing the, the cracks in the armor now, really. And I think every time like China attacks, the US attacks, it's actually just going to be more and more bullish for Bitcoin because it just proves out the case that, hey, you know, your guys' hand-waving and decrees aren't going to do shit. You're going to have to get on the ground and take down data centers and like get dirty. You have to go back to old school policing um, and skin in the game. So, uh, I mean, it's just a complete, yeah. it's a complete 180. Like, yeah, I mean, and Bitcoin is, is the difference here. Yeah, and in 2014, 15, maybe in 16, you have these uh, small websites, small traders. They're doing some sort of local Bitcoins business and they're evading um, taxes and they're doing these other things, right? And the government can't shut them down, right? Now it's multi-billion dollar companies. They're not necessarily evading taxes, but they're evading being shut down by the government. And it's a, what's the next thing? Now you're going to have maybe a sovereign, bar, uh, the Bahamas or Barbados or somebody is get, doing a CBDC, uh, like launching a brand new uh, central bank digital currency. And maybe they're going to have a reserve in Bitcoin and they're not going to be able to shut them down. You know, so yeah, the, the game theory and the chessboard is getting bigger. The pieces are getting bigger. Uh, it's very interesting to watch. So let's talk about Bitcoin by the numbers, right? In terms of some fundamentals, Bitcoin is staying very like flat at about 138 exahashes a second, which is all time high hash rate right now. Uh, so it, there's no adjustment essentially last uh, last uh, adjustment period, last two weeks, and then going into this next adjustment period, it's only forecasted like a 1% up, which is uh, pretty flat. Um, and then beyond that, in terms of number of new addresses that are being created on the Bitcoin blockchain, uh, we are pushing up against uh, all-time highs since 2018. So essentially, 2018, hockey sticked with all the FOMO, and then completely dived down and then has been slowly, if you look at the metric, it's been slowly, slowly, slowly creeping back up. And now we're starting to get to the point where it's like 
getting kind of close to tw- like you know mid 2017 levels right it's like actually you know pretty substantial on-chain uh address creation uh so for whatever that's worth things are trending up well the hash rate stuff is interesting because it is the uh, i guess the tail end of the rainy season in china and the hash rate is where it's at and if you do like technical analysis on the hash rate it's pushing against all-time highs it's been bumping against like what 140 exahashes for a while. Uh, and so it's probably going to break through that pretty soon. And we're going to see a big surge in hash rate. It's also interesting from a kind of geopolitical perspective, which I mean, we talk about, we talk about this all the time on the show, but uh, the U S there's several U S companies, right. They're trying to get one third of the hash rate in the U S um, I know like Georgia, the country of Georgia uh, and some of those other kind of caucus nations or whatever you would call them, they want to get a uh, hash rate into their country. And so we're starting to see a pickup in geopolitical web, the geopolitical weapon that is Bitcoin mining. Um, and yeah, it's very, very interesting. Fun- fundamentals are strong. Uh, I don't, I don't see, uh, there's no reason for a prolonged dip. That's for sure. I, I just saw today the guy, uh, I, Keith, he is the hedge eye, main hedge eye person. I retweeted him. Oh, did you? It was awesome. I was like, yeah, fuck this guy. (laughs) I book, I bookmarked a tweet because, uh, yeah, he sold all his Bitcoin and there, there's no reason for a cyclical or some sort of big sell off in Bitcoin. It is, it, we might have a temporary dip here. I've been kind of calling a temporary dip for a while, but no, I think that we're in the bull market. We're going up and he's going to look like an idiot. All the fundamentals are pointing to very strong price. So there's no reason for a dip. Yeah, I mean, and if there was a reason for the dip, it would be what happened the last you know week with Trump surprisingly getting COVID and BitMEX, which is you know yeah. the biggest exchange for 2018 on you know getting attacked. But if anything, it just showed bullishness because Bitcoin completely you know shrugged those off. And you know, sign of a bull market is price shrugs off bad news. Sign of a bear market is good news can't get the price to go up. So uh, this is looking like prices. Just does not care about news at all, and things are moving upwards. Exactly. Well, what do you think about the election? Do you think there's going to be price movement around the U.S. election? I think the most bullish thing would happen is if Bitcoin didn't care at all and just kept going up and just kept doing its thing. Like if we end the year at 15k, no matter what, you know, no matter Biden or Trump, like I think that 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 is very bullish. And I, I have a prediction: they they may not talk about Bitcoin in this election. But 2024, Bitcoin will be on like will be a subject that is talked about very, very seriously. Absolutely. Well, Bitcoin mining for sure. 100%. Like we just talked about that being like a geopolitical weapon. I think Bitcoin mining will be, you know, the same way they they talk about fracking uh, on the margins of the topics that they talk about in the election. They talk about energy clean coal or coal and fracking and stuff. I mean, Bitcoin mining will be in that league. Uh, definitely on the next in, in the next election, but I, I think that there's going to. I mean, if you look back to 2016 and the the Bitcoin price relative to all time high, this close to the election, it's almost identical. Like we are at 60 percent of all time high, or uh, you know something like that, and that was exactly what it was back there in 2016. And within the next 10 weeks, the price doubled. So I think that, oh man, 
this could be a very bullish end of October into November and people will be talking about Bitcoin. Let's go. We're talking about Bitcoin. This is the only background show that talks about Bitcoin as far as I'm concerned. So uh, keep tuning in, y'all. Uh, it's been fun doing this. I think, what, 26 shows in. Uh, and yeah, no plans on stopping. Just going to keep rolling ahead. So much more excitement to cover. Make sure to follow me at CK underscore Snarks. Make sure to follow the show at Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, Ansel, where can people find you? At Ansel Lindner. And uh, Bitcoin and Markets is my podcast. I also have a uh, newsletter that goes out every Friday and called the Fundamentals Report. It's free and man, it's jam-packed with charts and it's jam-packed with fundamentals like we just went over. Uh, so check that out. You can go to bitcoinandmarkets.com to check out past issues and also the Bitcoin Dictionary, bitcoindictionary.cc. Awesome. All right. Have a good one, Ansel. See you guys next week. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.